want to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 25. We will be looking to the parable of the talents, verses 14 through 30. As we prepare to go there, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to this text, we pray that you would accompany the reading and preaching of your word with the inward working of your spirit. Would you plant these truths on our hearts and would you draw us out in response for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. I'll ask you, as we prepare to go to this text, do, do you know the word fiduciary? It's kind of a fancy word, sophisticated word that many of us have heard, but maybe you aren't quite sure what it means. Well, a fiduciary is someone who has a legal obligation to act not on their own behalf, but on the behalf of another person or another entity. Now, the word fiduciary is often used in financial context, though it has broader meaning. Um, but if we think in that financial context, we th- might think of a financial advisor, and that financial advisor is uh, legally obligated to make decisions based on uh, the needs of their client. So what does that mean? It means that they're not a salesperson. It means they are an advisor. Think about it this way. A salesperson's paid commission based on what they sell. An advisor is compensated based on what happens with their clients, how well that client is doing. Now, for those financial advisors, they have a rather unfortunate title for fiduciaries. They're called fee-only advisors. That, that, that sounds awful, but what it means is they're paid a fee based on uh, how well that client does. And as their investments grow, well, guess what? So does the fiduciaries pay. Look, I'm not making a sales pitch for one type of financial advisor versus another. I'm trying to illustrate a point as we enter into this text. Oftentimes, when we, we're in our stewardship season. And oftentimes when we speak of stewardship, we think of stewardship, and we have probably preached stewardship as if stewardship were a code word for giving. Let's change the dialogue. Instead of giving, let's think of stewardship in terms of investing. This is essentially what we are doing when we steward the resources that have been entrusted to us by God, whether it be our money, whether it be our gifting, whether it be our experiences in the past, whether it be our time. When we employ those in the service of the kingdom, we're doing just that. We are investing in the kingdom of God. And as investors... We are, in essence, acting with a fiduciary responsibility. 
called by God to act on his behalf, on behalf of the king. But here's the thing. Just like that fiduciary receives some blessing as the investments grow, you and I, as we steward well, we too receive blessing. Jesus is going to teach all of that in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I want you to listen closely to this teaching. Jesus, he's not giving advice here. He's teaching us powerful, profound truths, and they come with a punch. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. For it, it is the coming of the kingdom of God. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents more. Here, I've made you two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. This is a bit of a lesson on kingdom investments from the Lord Jesus Christ, from the King of Kings. And so as we come to this text as we think about kingdom investments. I want to sort of focus our attention on, um, on a couple of words and concepts. Uh, the, the first word that I'll focus our attention on is this word entrusted. 
passage opens up in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. The master entrusted, meaning it was his. These talents were his. But he entrusted them, gave them to his servants for a purpose. And he gave them to each according to his ability. That means there were differing amounts. <laughs> the different servants got different amounts of talents. We, we look at that, we scratch our heads because we are, a, we are a, fair, a fairness culture. And this doesn't seem fair, does it? Different servants got more talents. But you see, as the story will prove out, this is not a question of fairness. It's a question of wisdom. The master entrusted differing talents to each according to his own ability. And therefore, in entrusting these talents, he had an expectation. He had an expectation that they would take those talents and invest them on his behalf. So, the king expected growth. First word I wanted to focus our attention on was entrusted. Second word, or or maybe concept, is the concept of of growth. Since we're talking about investments, maybe some of you might remember, oh goodness, I don't know if it was the 80s or 90s, the movie, uh, um, well, it wasn't Wall Street, whatever. Gordon Gekko. (laughs) Uh, Gordon Gekko had had a saying. He said, greed is good. Well, guess what? Greed is not good. Greed is, greed is sinful. Greed is a perversion of the call to steward the resources given to us by God. Greed is not good, but growth is. Growth is good. Growth is good because our God is a creative God who created and he created us in his image that we might be creators. He created us in his image that we might cause things to grow. Growth is fundamental to the kingdom of God. God's expectation is that his kingdom would grow. Jesus, when he talks about the parables of the kingdom, talks about the kingdom of God growing. Friends, growth is good. It is fundamental to the very character and being of God and of his kingdom. Understand what it means to be entrusted with kingdom resources. Understand that growth is good and it is the expectation. But there's another concept that we need to see in this text. And that is the concept of a reckoning. A day of reckoning. Did you hear it? (laughs) In the text. the, The master entrusted the servants with talents. And he went away. He went away actually for a long time. But when he came back, there was this day of reckoning, a day when the servants would come before him and present their results. He wants to see what they did with the talents that he had entrusted to their care. Friends, we will do likewise. We will stand before the king of kings on a day of reckoning and we'll be called to 
show him what we have done with the, the talents, the gifts, the time, the resources that he has entrusted to his care. These are important elements of a kingdom investment strategy that we are stewards, stewarding what has been entrusted to us, that we're called by God to seek kingdom growth, and there will be a day where we come before him at the day of reckoning. But as we think about this, this call to grow, there's a question that we've got to uh, answer as a church and, and as individuals, and that is this, what what type of return are we seeking? Is this merely a financial return? It's not even primarily a financial return. The investment goal is clear in this passage that the kingdom of God is to grow as more and more people are come, come to know Jesus and to follow his kingship. We recently put out a video as a church and sent it to small groups. And we articulated for you in that video one of the investment objectives we believe the Lord has placed on us as a church. And that is this, gospel saturation. As we think about gospel saturation, this is what it means that the people in our community would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we would live our lives under his rule and reign. That means the gospel that saves is the gospel that transforms. And as the gospel saves and transforms individuals, we believe the gospel impacts our community. That is, that is an investment objective for Christ's church. That the people of this community would come to know and love Jesus, to live for him, and through that, this community would be transformed. The kingdom would grow. It's the growth that we, as a church, are seeking in the way that we, in the language of our vision statement, uh, it's the way that we join in his work of redemption. I believe that's a, a bit of a, an investment primer in this text. Jesus teaches it. He teaches kingdom investment. He does so through the example of three servants. So let's look at those three servants, but we're going to look at the first two to begin with. The first two, they were good and faithful investors. The master, as I've already said, entrusted to the different servants varying amounts of talents. So what, what is a talent? A talent is a technical term. It's not merely that they are gifted in uh, speaking or serving or hospitality. The talent in this text is a, is a unit of money. And it's a rather large unit of money. A talent would be equivalent to 20 years wages for the common worker. So for this first servant who was entrusted with five talents, he was given the equivalent of 100 years wages. The second servant who was entrusted with two talents, that's the equivalent of 40 years. The wages for the 
average worker. Now, there is an obvious point here with an obvious connection to us. Each of us have different abilities. We have different backgrounds, different educations, different uh, capacities, and we also have different resources that have been entrusted to us. And all of that is God's design. It is not only okay, it is wise. And so for us, the call in stewardship or stewarding the resources entrusted to us is, is this. It's to be wise, that is to use the ability that's been given to us, be wise with what we have. What we have are the resources entrusted to us. That's the call in stewardship. Be wise with what we have. Understanding that what we have belongs to the Lord. That's true for us as a church, and it's true for us as individuals. The first two servants, they understood this. They understood, and immediately they got to work because they knew that these talents that had been given them were not to remain idle. They didn't belong to them. They belonged to the king. He was calling them to put those talents to work. The text tells us that they went at once and traded. Side note, and we won't follow this rabbit trail, but they're investing in business, (laughs) seeking a return for the king. As they did that, they did a couple things. They proved the ability that they had. And they also proved the wisdom of their master. And the master went away. The text actually says that after a long time he came back. So he wasn't gone for a short visit. He was gone for a long time. But when he returned, he returned for a reckoning. And for those first two servants, that day of reckoning was a beautiful day of joy. And we see that joy on on multiple levels. You see it in the excitement that they have as they bring the report to the master. If you were to read this and, and read it in the original as the first servant comes back, the emphasis is on five talents you gave me, here are five more. Same thing with the second servant. Two talents you gave me, here are two more. Do you see and understand that it is a joyful thing to live into our gifting? It's a joyful thing to steward well the resources that have been given to us. This call to stewardship is an invitation to joy. It's to live as you were created by the Master. So we see this joy and the, the excitement that the first two servants have as they, as they bring their report before the Master. But as they do so, as they bring the talents to him, they also receive blessing. This report, it pleased the master and he commended them for it well done well done good and faithful 
servant. Do, do any of you appreciate words of affirmation? I know you do. We all do. And sometimes we brush past that all too quickly, but we all need to hear words of affirmation from, from our friends, from our loved ones. But when it's from uh, a boss, particularly a boss whom we respect, those words of affirmation carry added weight. Can you imagine anything better then the Lord God Almighty, on the day of reckoning, looking at you and saying, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Those words, they are blessing enough. Do you know what it takes to be good and faithful? It takes being a person of faith. It, it it means that we trust in the great provider. We trust in his provision and we trust that his provision will always be sufficient. As we tithe, we're making a statement of trust that is a reflection of our true object of worship. The Lord God provides and his provision will always be sufficient. And in this faith, in this trust, we then have confidence. Have confidence in God's glorious future so that we can then act boldly in the present. This is true whether we're talking about our tithes and offerings or whether we're talking about investing our lives in others. The master affirms all of that. As he describes these first two servants as good and faithful. And then, in addition to the words of affirmation he gives them, he rewards them with greater authority. That greater authority means that they are given more opportunity to joyfully steward the master's resources. (laughs) The reward for a job well done is more glorious work. Now, three quick points uh, related to this blessing from the Lord. First, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This reward given to these servants is not a reward of salvation. Separate it. Don't confuse it. Second, the faith that saves is a faith that is lived out. Saving faith is transforming faith. The third quick point, these first two investors, they received the same commendation verbatim. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that this is not a contest to see who can bring in the most money. It's simply a call. It's a call to be faithful with what the Lord has entrusted to us. And there is blessing and joy in that. The good and faithful servants, they, they understood this, but it was a different story for the third. For him, 
the day of reckoning was a very different day. Because his actions were very different. The first two, quite obviously delighted in the master. And they sought to please him. But for the third, his focus was not on the master or certainly not in delighting in him. The third, his focus was in himself. And because of that, he lived with a fear of the master. He refused to employ the talent that had been entrusted to him and instead went and dug a hole in the ground and stuck it there and hid it. Rather than commendation, this third servant received condemnation. Now, this is important. It's important for us to hear, lest we question the heart of the master. This third servant was not condemned because his returns were lesser. This is not a competition. No. He was condemned because he did nothing with what was entrusted to him. Let that sit. He was condemned because he did nothing with what was entrusted to him. More importantly, he was condemned because of the heart that was behind his resistance. Rather than living out of faith, this third servant lived out of fear. And and when I describe his fear, I don't mean that he was merely a timid soul. Jesus tells us that there is something deeper at play. He was wicked and slothful. Evil and lazy. And this third servant had the audacity to accuse the master of being hard. He he said, Master, you reap where you do not sow. But the parable tells us just the opposite, doesn't it? The parable tells us that the master had reaped the talents and that he had done so wisely. He wasn't, or he had sown the talents and done so wisely. He wasn't reaping something he had not sown. He had sown with wisdom and care and was coming back to receive what was rightfully his. And as he did so, he graciously and generously acknowledged the efforts of the first two servants. This third man, he was lying and coming up with excuses. It reflects a heart that is focused on self rather than on God. This third servant had no vision for the kingdom of God. He had no discipline to act on behalf of the kingdom. His condemnation is not a result of weak investment returns, but a result of a willful disobedience and rejection of the master because of that. He was cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus doesn't pull punches, does he? He's gracious and kind. And part of his gracious kindness is his truth-telling. As he tells us, 
that saving faith is living faith. And a lack of faith results in eternal condemnation where we receive the just penalty for our sin. (laughs) Yes, Jesus is not merely giving financial advice in the parable of the talents. He's teaching us something fundamental about the kingdom of God. And he's calling for a response. That response is this. With hearts focused on the King of kings and Lord of lords, you and I, we are to joyfully serve the kingdom and seek the advance of the kingdom. So are you acting as a fiduciary with the talents that have been entrusted to you? Uh, Let's explore that question first in this context. How are you investing your life in the kingdom of God by investing your life in the lives of others? I've had conversations recently with our uh, men's ministry team and our women's ministry team in regards to uh, the call to disciple others. Uh, Let me just tell you one thing that is clear to me. that our congregation, young and old, we are hungry. We're hungry for others to come alongside of us and and mentor, invest our lives in one another. The thing I love about this body is that the young people desire, more than desire, are hungry for time with older folks. This is not a congregation that wants to separate out ages. We want to be together. We're hungry for this intentional mentoring and discipleship, yet many of us resist. Uh, Many of us resist. Some of it is out of a fear that we have nothing to offer. Nothing could be further from the truth. But in addition to a resistance because we have a fear that we have nothing to offer. Some resist out of self-focus. Now, when I say this, I'm not pointing to any one age group because the truth of Scripture, if we look at Titus 2, it lays out this beautiful model for intergenerational relationship where older are pouring into younger and younger are pulling, pouring into even younger. My, my dream for Christ church is that there will be a day where every one of us has someone pouring into them and every one of us is pouring into another. Invest your lives in the lives of one another and and in doing so, seek the growth of the kingdom of God. Trust in what the Lord has given you in terms of Understanding in terms of experience, even in terms of your failures. Do you understand that your failures are a blessing to others as you use those to point them to Christ, point others to Christ? Use and trust what the Lord has given you as you love others. In the kingdom of God, all, all are investing in the lives of others. So how? Are you investing your life in the kingdom by investing in the lives of others? But secondly, 
How are you investing your financial talents in the kingdom of God? Again, rather than the language of giving, let us use the language of investing. Do you view your finances as your own? Or do they belong to the king? The word of God tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, everything, everything belongs to the king of kings. Our lives, our relationships, our wallets. And Jesus calls us to invest those resources in the kingdom of God. Now look, when we begin to look at stewardship not as giving but as investment, the tithe then becomes the baseline. We affirm the tithe is a good guide, but an investment mindset tells us that when we sow generously, we reap generously. So, are you investing the first fruits in the kingdom or the leftovers? It's a question of priority. Is your kingdom investment a joyful priority or is it a reluctant afterthought? Do you spend on what you want to spend on first and whatever's left over at the end of the day, you might give a little to the kingdom. Is stewardship a joyful priority or a reluctant afterthought? The answer to that question gives us an indication of the true object of our worship. Were we worshiping the King of Kings? Or were we worshiping self? Look, for some of us, this issue of, of stewardship is a it's an issue of needing help. Needing help with our finances. Our deacons are here to offer that help you will if you are a member of Christ Church you'll be receiving a letter uh, this week from the elders and deacons explaining our stewardship process and what comes next and in that you will find appropriate ways to reach out to the deacons if you need help with your budgeting to get things in right order deacons have gone through some training and and want to I'm going to come alongside of you, and the letter you received this week will tell you how to make that happen. For some of us, this question is a question of knowledge, but for others, it is not an issue of knowledge, but an issue of worship. And if that is you, I implore you, listen to the words of Jesus. He speaks to the heart. And speaking to the heart, he affirms the good and faithful servant, but he condemns the wicked and slothful. And so, friends, let us, as a church and as individuals, let us invest joyfully in the kingdom of God. Let us be good and faithful investors. <laughs> if, you know, uh, if you know my son, Pierce, you know that... Um, He's a fan of podcasts. <laughs> it's how he gets his entertainment. It's how he gets his news. He's even participated in some podcasts. Some of you may have been a part of that. 
well, it's rubbed off on me a bit. I've started listening to podcasts I go about my weekly chores. And many of those podcasts are, are ministry-related, but I have found a different category uh, that is uh, related to business and investing. And, and they've been so fascinating to me because as I listen to a podcast about business investing, they talk about how to think about the world and future trends. And they begin to describe what makes for a great investor. Listen to this. And hear the connection. A great investor is one who has insight into future trends. A great investor is one who has the boldness to act on that insight. And a great investor is one who is disciplined enough to stay focused on their objectives. A great investor is one who has this mixture of realism about the current environment and an optimism about the future. Friends, we of all people have reason for optimism because we not only have insight into future trends, we know the future and it is secure because Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, has come. And on the cross, he secured the future for all who would place their faith and trust in him. We are saved by faith alone, reconciled to God the Father. And with that saving faith, we have the promise of future glory, that our King of kings will come again with his insight into the future. (laughs) We know. We know the glory that awaits. So let us act with boldness based on this insight. Let us live with discipline, focused on our objectives. Let us, as a church and as individuals, invest our lives and resources in the kingdom of God, seeking kingdom growth all the while, delighting in the King of Kings. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Uh, Father, this is your word, every bit of it, every bit of it is true, and so we pray that you would impress this truth on our heart, that we might know and experience the joy of faithful stewardship, and that in Christ, we might know his blessing. Do this, we pray, in his name, amen.